I want to share something with you that uh, I'm walking through personally. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into John chapter 10. I'm studying in John uh, the last several weeks. And in John chapter 10, Jesus does this very interesting thing. He, he, he gives this shepherd imagery to the people that he is speaking with, um, uh, which is a, a large group of people that he's sharing with. And it says in John 10, chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is saying that he's a a, a doorway. And literally that word actually means like a door that opens, like the ones that we have in the back. Like he is literally a door. Figuratively speaking, um, Jesus is saying I am an opportunity. Uh, I'm inviting you into something. You have an invitation this morning to walk in or to walk through. He's the door that is opening for us. And it says, when you open that door, when you walk through that door, the person that does that will be saved It says they will go in and out. Now, remember, he's using sheep imagery here. The sheep will go in and out, and they will find pasture. So, in other words, he's saying they'll be saved, which means like saved, like we think of saved, as in yes to Jesus and giving him his heart, your heart and your life and all that kind of stuff. So, when you say yes to Jesus, when you walk through this door, it leads to salvation, It leads to freedom. The sheep can go in and out as they please. When you say yes to Jesus, you encounter freedom. And you also encounter fulfillment. The purpose of a sheep finding pasture is to go find grass and eat, right? That's what sheep do. They sleep and they poop and they eat. And they repeat that cycle over and over again until they die, right? So that's what sheep are doing. And Jesus is saying, if you go through me as the doorway, I will give you salvation. I'll save you from danger. I will give you freedom and you'll find fulfillment. I mean, really, that's all that we're looking for, right? I want to be free from danger. I want to Uh, experience the most freedom that I can in this life, and I want to be fulfilled. And he says, I'm that door. And then in John 10.10, it's one of the most famous passages. You've probably heard it before. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the offer this morning is that we are invited to encounter life abundantly. Not just the ability to live, but actually abundant life. Now, life is defined in in the original context. The word life is defined as 
presence, the ability to be aware of where you actually are. How many of you are here right now? You can raise your hand, it's okay. How many of you are not here? Yes, amen. Just because you're breathing, taking up space in a chair, doesn't mean you're actually here. I would actually wager that a good portion of us spend a lot of our life not actually present where we are. Our culture does a really good job at keeping us away from where we are. We're constantly bombarded by distractions and annoyances and struggles and stress and work and annoying family members. If you don't have annoying family members, you are the annoying family member. And all of those things that life has a tendency to throw at us. But life in this context is defined as the ability to be fully aware and present where you are at. Now this presence doesn't come from within you. It comes from God. In Exodus chapter 3, when God is talking to Moses, telling him that he is going to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses is talking to a burning bush, and it's God in the bush. And Moses says, hey, so burning bush, you want me to lead the people out of Israel, or out of Egypt, out of slavery, I get that, but... Who should I say sent me? And the bush says, I am. The only definition that God could actually give of himself is I am. I am means the self-existent one. It means I'm continually present. I'm always there. I never go away. I never leave you nor forsake you. God is the ever-present, self-existent one. We don't even have good language to explain who he is. It's all imagery and metaphor. And so what Jesus is saying in this is that there is an invitation that we can receive to encounter that self-existent, ever-present life. And when we receive that, boom, we become where we are. Does that sound appealing? (laughs) I mean, I know in my life, like, when I think about that, like, that's what I want. I want an awareness of God's ever-present self-existence in me and in every situation that I encounter. Not only that, but it says, you will have that abundantly. Not Not just life, but you will have abundant life. Abundant means overflowing. All around you. So, so picture this, okay? Like, like your, your life like is, is like representative of this fist right here. And it's like this th- picture like a, a circle. And then all around that circle is just life on top of life. Life abundant. It means it's overflowing, always flowing out. It is superfluous in quantity and superior in quality. Now, in business, they're going to tell you you can only have one or the other, right? Quantity or quality. With God, in life, you get both. You get unlimited quantity. You get unlimited quality. It's always perfection with God. 
So the thing is, is every single person in this room is encountering a particular measure of life right now. The reason why I know that is because you're all staring at me. And I see you taking in the air that we're all breathing. And every now and again, I'll see you laugh. If I'm doing an okay job, you might say amen. If I'm not doing good, you might fall asleep. That's okay too. Jesus loves you. I might punch you later, but it's all right. Would you call the life that you're currently encountering abundant? Or are you just existing? Are you just encountering uh, a measure, enough of a measure of life to put one foot in front of the other today? Did you just roll out of bed and wipe the sleep from your eyes and just get here? Is that what life is looking like day in and day out? Or would you say that overflowing, superfluous in quantity, superior in quality, overflowing life is what I am receiving every single day. That was a hard one for me this week because I can't answer yes to that. And so when I'm sharing this morning, I'm sharing from a place of being here. Like, I don't deserve to be on the stage because this is what the Lord is walking me through. I'm not going to jump up there because I would fall down and look like a dummy. Jesus says the thief, the purpose of the thief is to steal, kill, and destroy that overabundant, ever-flowing life. Now, in this context, Jesus was talking about the, the current religious leaders of that day. In the current Judaism system that they were living in, the shepherds of that day, the leaders of that day, were actually the thieves. They were taking from everyone. And it says that thieves bring with them stealing, killing, and destroying. Now, to steal something means to sneak in in secret unknowingly, To kill obviously means to take life and to destroy. Literally, the picture is you're taking something and you're cutting it away with intention for it never to be put back. You're cutting it off. You're suffocating it. You're damming it up. You're blocking it off. And so the thief comes to sneak in to your life, to kill that life, and to cut it off with intention of it never coming back. That's what the thief is trying to do. By the way, did you know that uh, this God-present, overflowing life that Jesus is talking about here can't be killed or stolen or destroyed? The life that Jesus is promising you and I cannot be stolen. It can't be killed and it can't be destroyed. Notice that in the passage, he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It doesn't say the thief actually does those things. Scripture tells us that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for whom he can devour. It doesn't mean that he actually eats anything. And so the tactic of the enemy is to get us to believe 
that he is stealing, killing, and destroying the life that Jesus gave us. That overabundant, ever-flowing life that calls us and gives us the ability to be present where we are and full where we are, to love our life so much that it just overflows to other people. The enemy wants us to believe that it can be stolen, that it can be killed off, and that it can be taken. Here's the thing, though. While it can't be stolen, killed, or taken, that ever-abundant life can be given away. Now, that works positively and negatively. If you find yourself answering yes to an abundant life today, like if, if, if what I've described, you're saying, that's me. Like, that's awesome. I'm super excited. Go pour that over everybody that you know. Give that away. Because here's the thing. God's ever-abundant, overflowing life never stops. It never quits. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's what we get to participate in. This life that calls us to be fully present where we are. And to love every minute of it. But it can also work negatively. You see, when we actually buy into the belief system that it can be stolen, killed, or taken, we just give it away and think we don't have it. We get tricked into believing that we don't have that type of life. And we go, man, my job really stinks. I hate it. I don't like this marriage that I'm in. I don't like this family that I found myself a part of. I don't like these friends. I don't like where I'm living. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. The enemy wants us to believe that he has the power to remove this life from us. So, friends, to begin with, in order for us to begin to encounter abundant life, we have to first recognize the thieves. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He was referring to the Jews, the, Jew, uh, the religious leaders of that day. He called that out. So my question to begin with this morning is what is that thief in your life? What is attempting to steal, kill, and destroy the life that Jesus gives you? What is taking the ability for you to be present where you are and to love every minute of it? If you don't know, the Father will tell you. It's not hard. He is quick to tell you what is taking your life away. Now, it might be super easy. It might be one of those like big flashing sins. You know what I mean? We, sometimes we have those like addictions and struggles and all that kind of stuff. So if, if you have that, like you know what that is. But it might not be quite that easy. You might not just like your situation. You might not like your job and you don't know why you don't like it. I promise you, if you go to the father and say, hey, dad, why don't, why don't I like my job? I promise you, he'll begin to speak into you. It says a little bit earlier that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. So if you listen, he'll tell you. If you don't like your job and he says, well, it's because of that coworker. Then your next question is, hey, dad, how do you see that coworker? Because I promise you, if you change the lens by which you look at that coworker, 
all you will see is love and grace and mercy. You'll see a broken sinner that needs the love of Jesus Christ in his or her life. If abundant life is what we're offered and we're not receiving it, it's not God's fault. It's ours. It's a us issue, not him. He's always giving, but we have to be willing to receive. We have to be willing to receive. So in order for us to encounter this abundant life, not only should we look at the the thief or know what it is and call that thing out, we also need to receive the Spirit. It's the only way in which we can truly encounter abundant life is when we recognize that there is a Holy Spirit that resides in this place now. Jesus is gone, he's ascended into heaven, and he gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live this abundant life. You cannot do it on your own. You can't. You cannot muscle through this thing. You can't create enough willpower. You can't grit your teeth hard enough and just get through. He promises that he will give his Spirit to us. In John chapter 6, a little bit before this passage... Um, Jesus starts talking about how he's the bread of life. And all the people that he's talking to in this um, little excursus about being the bread of life, uh, everybody's like following, they're tracking. And he says, you know, uh, uh, God gave manna out in the desert, in the wilderness, when the people of Israel were wandering around in the, uh, in the Exodus. And God gave manna, and he says, I say, I'm the manna now. I am the bread of life. And everybody's like, okay, that's okay. I can kind of track with that. Yes, you're the bread of life. And then he flips the script on them and he says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's how much bread of life I am. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, um, back in that day, cannibalism wasn't looked too kindly on. It's not looked too kindly on today either. And so all the Jews went, no, I'm not eating your flesh and I'm not drinking your blood. Obviously, Jesus was being... Uh, figurative when he said that. He goes down a little bit further as he talks about being the bread of life and he says this in John 6.63 he says it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and in life. The emphasis there is that word gives. The Holy Spirit gives life. Once again, life, the ability to be present, the the ability to encounter the self-existent, all-knowing I am God on a continual basis. The Spirit gives that away day in, day out, moment by moment. While Jesus' coming was a one-time thing, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He came one time, one and done. Perfect sinless life, died on the cross, ascended into heaven, he's gone. John 63 tells us that the Spirit gives continually, gives. And the reason why the Spirit continues to give life is because the thief comes, plural, regular, to steal, kill, and destroy. He is always coming. The thieves are always surrounding, but they don't, have to get us because the Spirit gives life. The Spirit's interaction with us is continual. It's ongoing. 
but we have to be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to receive the Spirit. Jesus said the natural is no help at all. You and I know this to be true. You can look at our natural world, and common sense will tell you it's going to hell in a handbasket, right? I mean, pick any news app and read the first thing. You know what I'm saying? And it's like death, destruction, brokenness, killing, stealing, destroying. Everything's bad, right? Most of our lives, there are struggles going on. There are hardships that we are facing. But literally, the natural is no help. You can't look at that circumstance or that situation or that person that annoys you to no end in the natural and go, oh man, I just love you so much. I'm just so glad that I have to go through this hardship. I'm just, I just can't wait to walk through this next struggle. Yay, God, aren't you awesome? Woo! No, Jesus said, the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help. So what he's asking us to do is not look at the natural Look at the spiritual. Look at what's above. He said, the words that I'm giving you, the words that are coming out of my mouth, exist in spirit and life. They don't exist in the natural. So when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're in the natural world going, whoa, I'm not going to eat your flesh, Jesus, sorry. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is so much more than that. You partake of me. Like communion, we are communing together by the sacrifice that I gave for you. And in the spirit, we go, oh, thank you. That's so good. I promise you, if you look at your current situation in the face, in the natural, you'll get scared to death. You'll get beat down and broken. But when you look at your current situation in the spirit, he gives strength. He gives life. He lets you look at that thing and say, mm-mm, enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Nah, you can't touch this. You can't stink and touch this because I have abundant life. I have overflowing life. <laughs> A little bit later in chapter six, after all the disciples leave Jesus, all of them, it says a bunch of them left him after he talked about eating flesh and drinking blood He looked at the 12 and he goes, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter said, Jesus, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. Guys, I think for some of us this morning, it's time to jump into the deep end with Jesus. I mean, it's time to go deep with the Father. The disciples were so deep with Jesus, they had nowhere else to go. Peter said, Jesus, what do you want us to do? We've been following you for years. He's getting ready to die on the cross. So they've been with him for at least three years. And they say, Jesus, we don't have anything else. We've got nothing else, God. You know, in Scripture, God's connection to us is always likened to marriage. It's likened to marriage. It's not likened to dating. It's not likened to cohabitating. It's not, co- it's not likened to talking or hanging out together. It's likened to marriage because it is meant to be impossible for you to break your bond with God. So some of us in the room, if we're struggling with this concept of I need to have life and have it abundantly, quit dating God. Quit dating God. 
Quit cohabitating, sleeping around every now and again with some other stuff, some other little idols in your life. At the end of the day, jump in with him. Get married to Jesus. Because scripture tells us what God has joined together, let no man separate. I remember one time I was in a missions trip in the Bahamas. Did you know that people in the Bahamas need Jesus? I would highly recommend you go on a mission trip to the Bahamas, all right? I know, I could have been in a different place, but that's where I was at. So I was on this mission uh, mission trip in the Bahamas, and I'm getting deeper in the story. I should have never even started this. So I'm snorkeling in this crystal clear blue water on a mission trip in the Bahamas, okay? Trust me, it was a mission trip, all right? Um. So we had a day off, we had a free day, and I'm snorkeling in this, this area in the Bahamas. And you, uh, the, the guy that was like telling us where to go and stuff like that, he was like, if you go down deep, it's, it's a little ways, it's like several feet, and there's this like little coral tunnel thing that you get to go through. And he talks about how beautiful it was and all that kind of stuff. And I put my, my goggles on and all that, look down, and I'm thinking, that's not like a couple feet. I don't know how deep it was, but like it's one of those where your lungs start like (gasps) feeling, you know, if you've ever been scuba snorkeling, any of that kind of stuff, like you know what I'm talking about, when you just start going deep and all of a sudden that decompression, like you start feeling the pressure, Um, but anyway, so he's like, he's like, just do it, just do it, but but like once you get down there, you got to go, you can't come back, and so I get a big breath and I just go down, and I start swimming, 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 I hit this tunnel, and literally, I was at the point where I was like, I gotta get back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm starting to feel a little claustrophobic. I'm in this thing. But as soon as I got into this tunnel, it was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Like, crazy looking colored fish, and the coral was beautiful. It, I mean, it was just a brilliant sight. I mean, it's like God's creation all over the place. Super amazing. But literally, like, once you get to that point, you can't turn around. You've got to go through. Because if you turn around, like, you'll lose breath. There's people behind you. It creates mass chaos. Some of us need to jump in with the Father and not look back. The Word tells us that if we put our hand to the plow and look back, we're not fit for His service. Some of us need to buy in. And the reason why you aren't encountering abundant life is because you're not giving Him every single nook and cranny of your life. Get married to the Father. Lastly, I just, I want to share this one portion of a scripture. I'm going to go to verse 7 in Psalm 16 because I don't have time to unpack the rest of it. King David, um, he was empowered by God's Holy Spirit when he wrote this psalm. And, and, and I think that he understood what it meant to live an abundant life. In Psalm 16, David said this. Uh, 16 verse 7, he said, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Literally, like, like what, what David is saying there, to bless someone means that you're leaned in, you're favorably leaned in to that person. Like if I'm going to bless Ricky, hey, Ricky, how's it going? I'm like, I'm like leaning down, I'm saying, hey, Rick, what can I do for you, man? 
Like, what, what, how can I help you? What can I, can I like, give you something? Can I give you a hug? Can I love on you? You need $100? Like, what, whatever it is. Like, when you lean into someone, you, that's what a blessing is. You're, like, kneeling down to say, hey, what can I do for you? Now, typically, blessings talk about God blessing us. David said, I bless the Lord. He says, I'm kneeling in. I'm leaning in. The reason why is because a heart full of worship gives us the right position to receive from the Lord. It gives us the right position. When our heart is full, when our abundant life is overflowing, it gets us to that place where we are able to kneel in his presence and say, hey God, I want to bless you. Blessing God is recognizing God's state of abundance. You know where God's blessings come from? They come from his overflowing abundance. God never runs dry, ever. That's where God's blessings come from is out of overflow. And so if we are gonna be a blessing to other people or if we are gonna bless God, it only comes from overflow. You can't bless anything if you don't have overflow. So to say, I want to bless something means I am so full that I just got to spill over to other people. On the other hand, there's cursing. Cursing comes from lack. You know, I've never cursed my life when I'm so full of God and I'm so excited about what he's doing. But I have cursed my life when I feel like I'm empty or I'm missing something. And so what David is giving us a promise for is that it's possible for us to get to a point in the spirit where we are so full that we actually have something to give back to the Father. That's our humble service. He doesn't want your table scraps and he doesn't want your last place. He doesn't want just whatever you occasionally throw at him every now and again. He wants all of you. Why? Not because he's a judgmental, domineering God, but because he's such a loving father that when you encounter his full love, when you give him your whole heart, all that you get is this overflowing abundance of excitement and joy deep down inside that you can't control. And what happens is you begin to bless. Lastly, in that passage, David said, not only do you counsel me, like that meant David and God are like having conversation. Like how powerful is that? That we get to go into the war room with our father and we get to talk about our situations and he gets to enlighten us. He gets to give us revelation. But he goes on, he says, in the night also my heart instructs me. Friends, this has been the passage that has just laid on me for days because I've realized that part of having an abundant life comes from choosing to rest in his spirit. One of the reasons why our culture is so screwed up today is because we don't rest. We don't rest. And I don't mean that you have to get 18 hours of sleep every night 
Sleep is a great thing. We need it. But what I mean is like when Jesus was baptized. He goes down in the water and comes up. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and it, it does what? It rests on him. The picture is you being surrendered so much in your life that literally you just put your hands out and God's spirit rests on you. It causes you to stop. It causes you to to break for a moment. And for me, this has happened more often in the night than it does in the day. Because my flesh is weak my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And sometimes I just get bombarded by the stuff of life. And so what the Lord has started doing with me is he's giving me dreams. He's giving me visions. He's giving me, like literally when I lay down at night, it's like this moment where it's just he and I. And sometimes my brain gets in the way. <laughs> and so I have to go to sleep so that the Lord can untangle the mess and give me instruction for the day. Give me a vision for the next day. Give me a dream for what's coming. But it starts from that place of saying, God, I just want everything that you have for me. He wants to give you rest today, friends. He wants to speak life into your situation. He wants to empower you in a way that you could never imagine. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'll do it anyway. A couple weeks ago, my grandfather um, went to be with Jesus. And they asked me to share at his funeral. And one of the questions that I've had for a long time is, where do we go when we sleep? Now, that's deep and existential, and I know that's out there. I'm going to go into space for a little bit with you guys if you don't mind traveling with me. Because the, the, the idea of life is that we're aware of God's self-existence in us. And when we go to sleep, we're not aware. We're out. I'm not aware of my sleep state. And I kind of liken it almost to dying a little bit. Like when Jesus was going to the graveside to see Lazarus because he had died. And he said, hey, he's just asleep, guys. I'm going to raise him from the dead, actually. And so I've asked that question, God, where do we go when we sleep? I was listening to the Lord, asking about what I was going to share at my grandfather's funeral. And I said, Dad, what do you want me to say? He said, Son, I want you to be my voice. He said, You've wondered where you go when you sleep. Scripture says, in the night, my heart instructs me. He said, you know where you go? He said, you go with me. You go with me to places that your body can't go. 
in the Spirit, I take you places where your mind and your body cannot go right now. Because I want to show you things that are further than you could ever imagine. And that was kind of exciting. And then when I thought about that in connection to my grandfather, that's where I lit up like a candle because I was like, man, are you kidding me? Like, that's where my grandfather is now. It says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. His spirit is alive and well with the Father in a place where his body couldn't take him. And we have an opportunity to commune with the Father in the Spirit every day, even while we're in this old flesh suit here in the world. That's abundant life. So friends, the ask this morning is very simple. Would you just submit your life, your heart, every nook and cranny, every dark place, every crevice, and just say, hey, Dad... I know you love me. And I want to go places where my body can't take me. Take me there in the spirit.